0: You are listening to a sermon by Pastor Christopher Sally of New Life Christian Fellowship Church. I think everybody in here knows what that is the theme to. And so now I say to you, the title of the sermon is your mission. If you choose to accept it. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say your mission. If you choose to accept it, turn to somebody else and say your mission. If you choose to accept it. Amen. Mission. Impossible. We must be interested in Mission Impossible because they had a TV show and Tom Cruise has made six movies <laughs> in my one, two, three, Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, Fallout. And I think of all those those kind of series like that, they to me anyway, they seem to be getting better and better. Or at the very least, the missions become more, what? Impossible. They're always crazy. They're always high risk. There is a save the world kind of directed, directive, and there are incredible stakes when you're talking about these mission impossibles and the IMF, which stands for what? Impossible mission, what? Force. Impossible mission force. Well, believe it or not, in First Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, the Apostle Paul addresses questions and issues involving the Corinthian church. And in these, this particular passage of Scripture, these really there are three, it's amazing how when you talk about love, you can't talk about it without context. You can't talk about any scripture without context. And so when I was thinking about how we're going to love one another, I gravitated towards first Corinthians 13. It's called the hymn of love. Amen. Most of us are used to hearing it. Uh, where mostly at weddings, when we talk about love, but that's not really the context of which the Apostle Paul is talking about love. And so I'm excited today to, to present love in the context that the Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthians about. And trust me, that love is supporting a mission impossible. Amen. OK, you don't believe me. That's fine. But I'm going to tell you this. Here in these, in this passage, particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul reveals this, that the unifying mission in the body of Christ is edification. Amen. That's our mission in the body of Christ. It's edification. It's the unifying mission in the body of Christ is Edification, I didn't say it's the mission of the body of Christ it's the mission in the body of Christ there's there's two different things and let me give you the distinction in Luke chapter 4 18 and 19 we find the mission of the church the mission of the body of Christ when Jesus says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord the mission of the church is to evangelize and empower and, and to emancipate and encourage that's what Jesus said his mission statement was and that's our mission statement that's our mission statement to the world when it talks about in in Matthew 28 go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit teaching men to observe all things wherefore I have instructed you and lo I'm with you always even to the ends of the earth the great commission I'm not talking about the mission of the church. I'm talking about the mission in the church. I'm talking about an internal focus. We're not talking about anybody else. We have a mission that you and I need to choose to accept. And that mission is aptly reflected in Ephesians 4 and 12 when it says this. It says to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And verse 16 says for him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its what work. So the mission is that we do the work that we're called to do, but we do it in such a way that we are edifying the body Of Christ. Romans 14 and 19 says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. In Second Corinthians 12 and 19, the apostle Paul says, have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. It's for your edification. Amen. We already read the Ephesians uh, 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 4 and and, and 12 and 16. And then first Thessalonians, this is give me another one. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Amen. And then finally, first Peter 4 and 10 says each of you should do use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. Amen. And so, again, the unifying mission in the body of Christ is Edification. Why? Why is that the unifying mission? And I'm saying unity and I keep saying that over. Why? Because we belong to each other. Amen. You didn't hear me. We belong to each other. Romans 12 and five says, so we in Christ are many, but we form one body and each member belongs to all of the others. Amen. For those that are in the experience in God Bible study, that's one of our verses. So we being many are one body in Christ and each one members, one of the other. Right here in the passage in First Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul says the body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts and though all its parts are many. They form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into the body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we are all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many, but we belong to each other. And so the unifying mission in the body of Christ is that we work towards what edification. That's the mission. If you choose to accept it. Now, some of us have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal savior, but have not accepted the mission in the church. You've accepted him, but you don't want to accept the mission, but that demonstrates God's sovereignty. He says, I didn't just come to be savior. I came to be Lord. This is not just about sonship. This is about discipleship and we belong to each other. So therefore we must be unified. Now that is the mission, but it is not easy. Many would describe that as a mission impossible, but there are three factors or critical inputs that must be present and activated for us to pull this off. And Paul reveals what those three are. There are three things that have to be present. And the good news is God literally gives us two of them. He's only looking for you to complete one. So on your, on your task list and on my task list, there's one, but here's the great news. Here's the great news. He provides two of the three. And the first one is, Let's be reminded here in this mm, here in this passage. Again, the unifying mission in the body of Christ is what edification. You you can call it. I I literally just gave it to you. Amen. (laughs) Now. The unifying might in the body of Christ is the Holy Spirit. Shh. That's our what? Secret weapon. We talked about this in being kingdom strong, that God has given us a secret weapon in our desire to be able to uh, do the work that we need to do in the body of Christ. The unifying, the unifying might by which we get that done, the unifying might in the body of Christ is the Holy Spirit. He is our what? Secret Weapon. And all are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the what? Spirit. We're all built up together so that the spirit can inhabit us. He empowers us. Second Corinthians 3 and 18 says, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are into that same image from glory to glory. Come on, Fred Hammond, from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. And in Ephesians 3 and 6 says 16 says that he would grant you according to the riches of his great grace to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That's what the apostle Paul said. I just I hope you can understand and that you will be strengthened by the might of the spirit in the inner man. So, again, the unifying unifying might in the body of Christ is who it's 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 a person. And that person is the Holy Spirit. He is our secret weapon. And as you may recall, when we talked about him being our secret weapon, I told you he was given for comfort and counsel and conviction and. Communication and clarity and conformity and cohesion and concern and confidence, courage, contribution and consecration. All of those things are the 12 fold supply of the spirit, if you will. But in first Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul really emphasizes that cohesion and concern and contribution that the spirit makes. But the spirit is the unifying might and God gives us his spirit. Amen. So we're almost home. To be able to complete the mission. Because we have the might. Y'all not excited enough for me. We got a mission. But we got might too. And it's not just the unifying might. In the body of Christ. That's the Holy Spirit. You see here in 1 Corinthians 12. There are some unifying manifestations. In the body of Christ. And they're called gifts. Listen. Listen. There are this the unifying might is the Holy Spirit. The unifying manifestations in the body of Christ are the gifts. And to further demonstrate that he is the might and the power by which we do our work. Guess who is in charge of the gift giving program? The Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts. Verse four says, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, there are different kinds of working, but the same God works uh, of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good, common good, meaning what edification to one there is given through the spirit the message of wisdom wisdom another message of knowledge by means of the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the same spirit to another miraculous powers to another prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretations of some tongues all of these work are one and the same what spirit and he gives them to each one just as he determines God through the Holy Spirit, is in charge of the gift-giving program. Amen? I am not in charge of the gift-giving program. You are not in charge of the gift-giving program. These manifestations of the body of Christ or in the body of Christ are the gifts. That helps us to achieve the mission because that verse tells us, in, I think it was verse 7, it says, they're given for what? The common good. Now, what I'm saying to you is if all you needed was the might. The unifying might of the Holy Spirit and the unifying manifestation of the gifts to get the mission done. There would be no need for first Corinthians. There will be no need for the apostle Paul to write this letter. There would be no need. You would be good. We would be good. But if that's all there was, but Paul continues and listen, what he says in in, in first Corinthians chapter one, he says this, I always thank God. Verse four. For you, because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus, for in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, here it is. You do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus to be revealed. He said when it comes to giftedness, Corinthian church, you're on 10. You definitely have the spirit because spirit is given to us individually. And as we build our house together, he habitates that. So you got number one and you got number two. You got that unifying might and you have all of the unifying manifestation. But as you read the letter, you can see this church is jacked up. They got the gifts. He said giftedness is not your problem but you do have some problems. He starts, I can hear him like right now. It's like we starting in chapter one, verse 10. He says, I appeal to you brothers in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly unified. Amen. So the first thing is you, you got some divisions. Then he said, word on the street. My brothers is that somebody from Chloe's crib told me, That there are quarrels among you. And the Corinthians like. Somebody snitching. Somebody in Chloe's house said. Y'all been quarreling. So you got divisions. Then you got quarreling. And then you go to 1 Corinthians 3. And he says brothers I could not address you as spiritual. But as worldly merely infants in Christ. I gave you milk not solid food. For you were not ready for it. Indeed you still aren't ready. So not only do you have divisions. You got quarrels. You got stunted spiritual growth. Even though you're gifted, you got stunted spiritual growth. He says in in chapter five and verse one, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not even occur among the pagans. A man has had his father's wife, sexual immorality running rampant in the church. Then he turns to chapter six and he looks at verse seven and he says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you, y'all are in court downtown suing each other about some little mess that y'all got going on. He says you got quarrels and divisions and stunted spiritual growth and immorality and lawsuits and confusion. You look at chapter eight. In verse nine, there's confusion about this food that's been offered to idols and back and forth. He said, be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to somebody else. There's confusion and even more confusion when you get to first Corinthians 14 and verse 23, when he says, listen, so it's the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in. Will they not say you are out of your mind? He says there's nothing wrong with tongues, but there is something wrong with tongue time at church. Tongue times when everybody just speaks in tongues, everybody just Paul oh, says that you got to be. They'll think you're out of your mind. That, that's not. Come on, somebody. Listen. He, he's, he, he's, he's making a case here from 12 to 13 to, to 14. Amen. He's ma- he's building a case. And the, the, the way he concludes it in verse in verse 40 of first Corinthians 14, he says, but everything should be done fitting. In a fitting and orderly way. Why? Because the unifying mark in the body of Christ is order. I'll just that, that's just the bonus. Amen. You got a unifying mission. You got a unifying might. You got unifying manifestations. And if you do the things you're supposed to do correctly, there will be a mark. Your your church will be marked. The unifying mark in the body of Christ will be. Everything will be done in a fitting and orderly way. There will be order. But the apostle says there's something missing. And it is the key to making the impossible mission possible. And it's right there in our text. He says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. Listen, did he drops this first Corinthians 13 part in? And you thought he was talking about weddings and husbands and wives. He ain't talking about weddings. He's not talking about husbands and wives. I'm not saying it can't be used in that context because it really does talk about the power of love and we'll talk about that in the practice of love and, 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 and the priority of love. That's there. That's what first Corinthians 13 is all about. But I'm saying in that context, he literally takes a deep breath. He says, listen, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. He said, but let me pause for a second. Let me show you the most excellent way. And the most excellent way is the unifying motivator in the body of Christ is love. It's love. It's back to that. Somebody who was here last week should say, that's it right there. That's right, right there. That's what we're talking about right there. He says again, the unifying motivation in the body of Christ is Love, because love builds up and supports the mission. First Corinthians eight and one said it very simply. He says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but he said knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And so we're not going to be able to achieve the mission of edification in the body of Christ without love as a matter of fact I want you to think about this of all of the qualifications that you and I need to have to be a part of the IMF in the body of Christ if you want to be a part of the impossible mission force you don't need to work out you don't need to be able to hang from the side of a building you don't need to be able to to uh uh uh, swing and fulcrum yourself onto a high building like he did in And I believe it was ghost protocol. You don't need to be hanging on the out of the side of a plane like he did in fallout. You don't need to do any of that. You need to learn how to love. If you want to be a part of the impossible mission force, the one requirement is you better learn how to love. It's an integral and necessary part of how to accomplish the mission. Matter of fact, if love is not the motivator, it will not accomplish the mission and you will fall short. It will be mission impossible. And no matter what crazy scenario that comes up or whatever happens, it can be solved with those three things that the Lord has instructed us around. We already have this unifying might in the Holy Spirit. We already have these unifying manifestations in the gifts. And he says, but I need you to have that unifying motivation And it's love. And if love is not the motivation, we will not be able to be a part of the impossible mission force. And we will fail. Look at look at Matthew chapter six and, and, and verse five, just to talk about motivation for a minute. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about the Pharisees. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites for they love to stand pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be what seen by others truly i tell you they have received their reward in full so if that's what you're going for then you'll get it he says that's your motivation to be seen you'll be seen that'll be your reward in matthew 6 and 16 he says when you fast do not look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Motivation, beloved, matters. Motivation matters. Look at Philippians 1, 15 and 17. We talked about this, uh, in the, in the not too distant past. It is true, the apostle Paul said, that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of what? Love. Knowing that I am put here in the defense of the gospel, the former preach preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. He says some folks are preaching, but they're preaching with the wrong motivation. They're preaching to cause trouble. Others are preaching to edify. Others are preaching for goodwill. What what you do matters, but why you do it matters more. And you know what? I'm going to put a fine point on it. The antithesis of agape love is selfishness. The antithesis. If you want to be about self, you can be about self and be gifted and do work, but it won't make the mission possible. It won't be edifying if you do it out of your flesh, if you do it for the wrong reasons, if you do it to be seen, if you and I are doing things in the body of Christ. Again, if love is not the what the motivator again, if it's not, I'll say it this way. If love is not the modifier and the motivator of all godly activities and actions, it will be to know Avail. Love has to be at the center of what we do. Amen. It has to be at the center because if it's not, it's the antithesis of agape love is to be selfish. And I know what you're saying. Are we talking about selfishness again? Yup. Is it always about selfishness? Yup. And I am using my Will Ferrell stepbrother's voice. Do we just become best friends? Yup. Do you want to go do karate in the garage? Yup. Are we talking about selfishness again? Yup. It's selfishness at the root of everything that goes wrong with us in our lives. Yup. It's like, why do we keep coming back to that? And the better question is, why are you, you and I, me? That's the better question, because if we could get away from ourselves, God could start to use us. Yeah, he says, listen, I'm tired of your self-determination. I really am. Self-determination only leads to destruction. I need you to be about the business of self-denial, because that leads to discipleship. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Are we back to Matthew 16 and 24? Yup. We are because we need to be back to it every time. And the motivator and the unifying motivator to keep the mission and the body of Christ viable and possible. It has to be about love. Look in scripture. There are four main places. There are four main places that the gifts are discussed. First Corinthians 12, Romans 12. Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. In all of those places where they talk about the gifts, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter spend just a little time talking about love because they're connected. For 1 Corinthians 12, you're talking about gifts. The Apostle Paul says, let me show you a more excellent way in this 1 Corinthians 13. For Romans chapter 12, when they're talking about gifts, here you look up and you see Romans 12 and 9 right after that discussion. And it said, love must be sincere. Keep a, keep a pin on that. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. In Ephesians chapter four, there's a discussion of gifts. Cause he said, i called some to be apostles, some prophets, some teachers. And then he says in Ephesians four and 16 for from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in what love as each part does its work. You can't do the work and edify the body of Christ and build it up unless you do it by building it up in love. And in the discussion of gifts briefly in first Peter chapter four, you'll see this verse above all love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. not going to have a discussion about giftedness without having a discussion about love. And we see the evidence in first Corinthians, because all throughout, he says, you guys are plagued with a whole bunch of problems. It's because there's one final step you need to take. It's not just about the Holy spirit being there and dwelling in you. It's not just about the gifts that he gives. It's got to be about the motivation of love because that's what will make the mission impossible possible. Otherwise, you come up short and then you end up in the land where there's lawsuits and quarrels and divisions and stunted spiritual growth and immorality and confusion. And the Apostle Paul said, you guys are better than that. You guys are what? You're better than that. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to i say pause here, but we're not going to break down First Corinthians 13 in any detail right this moment, other than me telling you that I already gave you an outline that we'll fill in when we're together next time. When it says what, verses 1 through 3 that were read into our hearing, it talks about the power of love. And then 4 through 7 talks about the actual practice of love. And then 8 through 13, I believe it is, talks about, is it 13? No, yeah, 8 through 13 talks about the priority of love. So just just keep that in mind. That's the way that that breaks apart. But I want to go back to something. Two things, actually, as we conclude. In Romans 12 and 9, it said love must be sincere and we had a discussion a bible study yesterday about the etymology etymology excuse me of that word and it is in some dispute of uh, scholars uh, there's there's some, there's some folklore around where that word has come from uh that we discussed on Saturday, and then there is probably, it did probably come from the Latin, but it doesn't negate this great word picture you receive when you talk about sincere. In the Spanish Renaissance, they were cranking out a lot of sculptures. It's the Renaissance. It's what you do. You're sculpting, you're painting, you're doing a bunch of stuff. (laughs) And they were saying that there was such a demand for, this, these sculptures that the workers were moving really fast and they were making mistakes. And the way they would try to fill in and cover their mistakes, uh, would be they would, they would uh, put wax in to smooth things out. They would smooth things out so that it would look better. But what would happen is when it got into the light and the heat of the sun, the wax would melt and it would reveal that their work was sloppier than they thought, or sloppier than it appeared, and so there's a word called in, 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 in Spanish. It's sin is without, serre is wax, and so if you're going to be sincere, the word picture is you're going to sculpt and do your work without wax. Not wax. Wax is a is a kind. It's kind of like a shortcut. You're you're cheating, if you will, and it gets revealed in the light of the sun that, that what you are pursuing is not sincere. But in the Greek, it says love must be sincere. And that word actually means is not hypocritical. Under hoopo under Uh, there's an alpha privative, which means without, without being under, pretense. It's like, you got to be genuine. It's got to be the real deal. You have to present it the way it actually is. And so love must be what it's got to be sincere. So whether you gravitate towards the one picture or the other, there's an understanding that, that it, it, it has to be, uh, it has to be the real deal. But here's what I love. Just as we talk about it being done without wax. You can you can do it without wax, but you better do it with love. And and the parallel is wax won't cut it, but love will, because First Peter four eight says, "Love covers a multitude." Of so in your sculpting, come on somebody, in your work, when you're doing what you need to do, you can't rely on the wax because the wax will let you down, but you can sculpt freely with love because love covers a multitude of sin. All of the gaps that need to be filled in in your work that comes up short. All of the gaps that need to be filled in in the work of those around you. All of the things that, all of the shortcomings that you have. All of the shortcomings that your neighbor has in the body of Christ. It actually does cover. It covers a multitude of sins. It covers a multitude of shortcomings. It covers a multitude of faults because it overlooks faults and finds needs. It forgives. It, it heals All of those things that are happening in the body of Christ, he's saying literally, Peter says, you can use, you can use love because love will cover because your work might be just a little sloppy. But if you can use love, not wax, use love. And it'll cover, it'll cover, it'll cover. I think about my days when I used to work with brother Monty Rollison, who was a carpenter. And that difference between that rough carpentry and finished carpentry. You wonder why you have all of these borders all over the place in your house. You've got baseboards and then you got this, this little stick. Looks like another border that comes down and it's right along the baseboard and you see stuff high or low. It's all that stuff. That's covering. Because when you do rough car- carpentry, you, you, you can't get it perfect all the way up to the edge. And so what you need is a border that'll cover and give it a finish so that it'll look pleasing. Amen. And so their desire was, I, I know it's not perfect. so You don't have to worry about it being perfect. He said, just like the Bible says, love covers a multitude of sins. This baseboard will cover a multitude of your mistakes. It will. It'll cover it. And give it a finished look. A finished quality. So that you'll be able to achieve what? The mission. The mission is that you be edifying. Amen. And so if you want to be edifying. You have to understand and practice. That love is the motivator. Love is the is the covering for all of the things. That are going on in the body of Christ. That's why you and I have to have agape love. Agape love covers. And it allows us to turn a mission impossible into a mission possible.